Jim Willis, Marcellus Drilling News. Marcellus Drilling News. Thank you for joining us here today. And I noticed a couple stories. I read a couple stories at your website, and I wanted to bring you on to talk about that today. And one of them had to do with the pipelines, whether it be critical infrastructure. And a second one had to do with a company. And the name escapes me. I want to say it's Cruz or Crusoe. That's why I bring in you, the expert, to talk about it. But they're like powering computers or something like that. So I thought that was kind of nifty. But uh, what's happening out there in the Marcellus world these days? Well, thanks for for having me on, Jason. Um, like everyone, I suppose, uh, we're living through this uh, coronavirus crisis in in lockdown, um, and it's I, I, you know when I when I talk about it to my friends uh, and family, um, inevitably, you know, I, I try to put my my head around this. It, it's just so strange to me that our world has, in my opinion, has fundamentally changed in the past two weeks. Um, it changed to the point that I, I think we're going to be living in a, in a different world uh, on the other side of this. And, I couldn't agree more, uh, by the way. I couldn't agree more. There, and, 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 as it, and, and, and just to, to finish that, that thought is, uh, you know, we're, we're humans, and it's been my observation that we, we don't, like change. We don't deal with change very well. And so um, it takes a while for us to sort of warm up to it. So what I see or what I think is that um, I, I hear comments about, see, it's just all so surreal. You know, everything's shut down and no one's going, at least here in New York State where I live. And, uh, and I think that's because um, it takes humans a while to acclimate and, and get used to this like new world that we're living in. So it's, it's very strange. And of course, um, as it applies to the energy space, uh, we are going through unprecedented times. Of course, you hear that word unprecedented like every other word when you watch television news, you know, listen to your local politicians. It's always unprecedented. Well, in the energy space, it, it truly is unprecedented. And and I'm sure you're aware of this, Jason, but we're experiencing, at least in, on the oil side of things, I, I write more about the gas side of things, but of course the two are joined at the hip, and many of the companies that, that do oil drilling also do gas drilling. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested in it. And we're experiencing a, a double shock. We're, we're experiencing a supply shock and a demand shock at the same time. It started with a demand shock, right? The coronavirus created this uh, situation where um, all of a sudden people aren't traveling, they're not doing as much. Uh, you know, all, all the airline traffic is shut down, cruise ships, and, and all these. So there's far less demand for oil, like two, three, four million barrels a day less demand than there was just a few weeks ago. And at the same time, the Russians and the Saudis got into a snit and began a pumping war, a price war, to, you know, to drive the, the price of oil down. And, uh, and, and so they've started to pump more. And so now they're pumping an extra however many millions of gallons uh, or millions of, of barrels per day, several at least. And so now you not only have a situation where the market at equilibrium 
had decreased its demand, but now you've flooded it with even extra supply, and so the price is crashing, and it's it's not tenable. Um, I, I I shared an article today of you know Barclays. There was an analyst at Barclays that's now predicting that if this virus goes on for a certain period of time, you might see oil at ten dollars a barrel, and and that's just I mean that's unthinkable in my opinion. So we're we're, we're going through unprecedented times, that's for sure. The one thing, you know, you mentioned about uh, some of the behaviors and some of the things about humans and attitudes. Um, I don't think you said attitudes. You said behaviors. But um, is, you know, I've, I've said this on this show the last couple of weeks that, you know, really when you look at humans with the evolution and, and how humans change, it's more through behaviors than it is adding another limb or growing wings or something like that. When you look at evolution, Mm -hmm. humans more Mm -hmm. evolve through behavior. And I look at the, and then if you go a step further, if you want to get extremely deep here, as long as, as long as we're down in the rabbit hole, um, (laughs) is that, you know, really it takes about three weeks to change a behavior. That's, you know, as far as Mm -hmm. if you do something for three, quit smoking, for example, if you can make it for three weeks, then you probably have licked the habit. And three weeks is generally what most psychologists and also doctors say. Um, and so when you look at what this coronavirus is going to do, it is going to change our behavior. It's going to change it just out of sheer people are going to be locked down for, well, Vegas, what, 30 days. And so that's three weeks and the energy industry, the one thing though, that is a bright spot is that the energy industry, I believe is getting highlighted throughout this in terms of its need. Now, whether it's being highlighted by the media is a different story. Whether it's being highlighted by the politicians is a different story. But when you look at everything from the masks to making sure that those respirators are working and the hospital grids are, are getting enough power to make sure it happens to the delivery drivers driving the things across country, I, I kind of think maybe there should be a little more attention being focused towards the energy impact on uh, making this coronavirus fight operate. What do you think about that comment? Yeah, yeah, I I absolutely agree. Um, I, you know, I, I try to call attention to it. I know others uh, that are sort of in our space that that produce content in the energy area are trying to call attention to that. You're absolutely right. Not enough attention is called to it um, on the national scene uh, because it's you know it's just there and it's always just been there and it's uh, because it works well. It's a well oiled machine, pun intended, mm-hmm. um, and and so people don't they just don't think of it, you know, until they don't have it, uh, and that's when that's when they think about it. I mean, you could look at the example that springs to mind for me is um, I think it was last year, um, maybe it was twenty eighteen. I'm trying to think when it was. Yeah, maybe it was twenty eighteen. Uh, in Massachusetts, about 25 miles from Boston, um, there was a situation with uh, with Columbia Gas, their uh, own my nice source, where the uh, the pipeline system in the local utility, the LDC, in the area was doing some work on their pipelines. They were putting in some new pipelines and replacing some things, and so they were abandoning uh, a section of an old pipeline. 
and you know won't go into all the details but um what happened was they 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 didn't realize that there was a sensor in the old pipeline that uh that was still active and live and so when they shut that pipeline off the sensor said "Uh oh there's no gas in here you know so so pump more pump more and it and it told the system to keep pumping in it and it supercharged the rest of the system and it started to blow out the pipelines and cause explosions all over the place in this community and uh in that entire community i think there were I want to say 6,000 people, something like that. They ended up being without natural gas for something like uh, three months and uh, as, as wintertime was approaching. So this is like the fall of 2018. And, uh, and it, so you have this dichotomy. You have Massachusetts and you have the politicians in Massachusetts that absolutely prohibit any new pipelines. They don't want it. You know, they, they want to get off from natural gas and they, you know, they make all these noises about it. But hey, when it's cut, you know, people start screaming. So I think it's just a, it's a testament to this industry that uh, it just it sits in the background and it works. You know, the entire supply chain, it just works, and it works very, very well, and, and to, to great credit, you know, to the people that are involved. Well, and here I was trying to lob you a nice little softball so that you could plug your own website, but I know how you don't like to plug your own website, so I'm going to because... <laughs> The, the the example I'd like to give is one that I got aware of it from MarcellusDrilling.com, which is your website, and it has to do with, uh, the, is it the Mariner East Pipeline? Is that the one? Yeah, that's right. Yep, so Mariner the, East. It, and, the, yep. and, the, and the conversation is, is that whether it's critical or not or essential and the Governor Wolf wants to shut down the construction on it and... I thought the debate was over that pipelines were deemed critical infrastructure. And t- talk to me a little bit about what's going on there, there with the uh, pipelines being essential and the and the governor and and all that stuff because I found that very interesting. Yeah, it's um, and I found it interesting too because I, I thought the same thing. Um, but it, the situation, as I talk to you today. Uh, the, the very latest is it's still confusing. <laughs> I'm not sure that it's uh, it's been totally sorted out yet. Um, so uh, so in Pennsylvania, as in New York, um, the governor uh, has essentially shut down all what are called uh, non-life-sustaining businesses. So people don't go to work; they stay home. If they can work from home, that's great. If they can't, they're they're whatever, either on unemployment or, you know, the companies out of the goodness of their hearts are, are you know, still paying them, whatever. Uh, but there are certain key activities, of course, that still have to go on. People still have to go into work and, and, and do those things. So oil and gas as an industry, the upstream part of it is on the critical list, on the life-sustaining list, and so that con- that work continues. Um, so wells are still being drilled, and um, you know, and, 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 and all of that. Uh, of course, utilities are a, a critical uh, industry. Um, you know, that are delivering uh, gas and electric to homes and things like that. Um, now, the Mariner East pipeline system, it's actually three pipelines. There's, a, there's an old one that was converted, Mariner East 1. There's two, and then there's another one called 2X. Um, 
all three of them flow NGLs from uh, southwestern Pennsylvania and eastern Ohio, where the drilling that goes on in the Marsalis and Utica in that region is, uh, it turns up a lot of NGLs, uh, a lot of ethane, uh, but there's also propane and butane, you know, and, and the other NGLs. And so those, that pipeline system was put into place or was, was being built um, to go from eastern Ohio, but basically uh, western Pennsylvania, all the way across the state to Philadelphia on the eastern side of the state, and uh, where it sits on the, the Delaware River, and a lot of those NGLs are actually exported to other countries. So, uh, so Mariner East won an old, smaller pipeline. Uh, it's been up and running, continues to be up and running. Mariner East 2 is mostly done, but in order to get it completed and operating, they had to, uh, they had to sort of jury rig um, a few spots where they were having uh, troubles. Uh, so they, and unfortunately, it's in the uh, greater Philadelphia area, sort of out in the suburbs. And when they were drilling, uh, they would, you know, create sinkholes and, uh, you know, all sorts of issues, right? So, so they borrowed um, an existing pipeline in the area and they sort of routed it across there. So there's still a little bit of work left to be done on two, but two is up and running because of this jury rigging. 2X is another pipeline laid right next to two a second pipeline, and that one is still under construction. So there was initially some confusion about, okay, the governor has given this order, all, um, uh, you know, non-life-sustaining businesses must shut down, and that includes construction of, like, new roads and things like that. And so, of course, you know, the antis jumped right on that. Well, you know, uh, construction of this pipeline has to stop, obviously. And um, and yet, construction continued after the governor's deadline last week. And so that raised some issues. Well, at first, it appeared that it was it was it continued because you, know, you can't just not go back and you can't just quit working, right? You have a trench dug someplace, and if you just leave it there and it rains, you know, and you get erosion and the water goes, you, you, you have to, like, do things to, to tidy it up and, and sort of, uh, you know, make it okay so that it can, it can rest, it can set there. Um, and so, uh, so that was the initial reaction was, well, yeah, we are shutting it down this construction on, on the new pipeline. Um, and, and so I came to the conclusion and wrote about, well, it appears to me that if a pipeline is already up and running and it's delivering product, that is a critical item. That's a life-sustaining business, and it has to, has to keep going. But if it's a new pipeline that's not yet in service, that's on the non-life-sustaining, the non-critical list, and can be shut down, you know, construction on it. Um, so, so there's a sort of a subtle difference there um, in, in what's happening in the midstream, as far as I can see. But then today... Um, you know, there there was another uh, another article that came out that, that was discussing in, in, in uh, energy transfer. The builder of that pipeline 
um, released a statement saying that they've received a confirmation that they can continue to monitor and maintain, I'm going to read it, the rights of way and work sites associated with their construction projects in Pennsylvania, including Mariner East 2. In addition, we may secure, stabilize, and move equipment at these sites under the enhanced safety measures from the governor implemented on March 19th. We're in the process of resuming these activities while adhering to the protocols, you know, safe, you know, social distancing and all that business. So, so what does that mean? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, oh, I love this first paragraph, by the way. I'm, I'm looking at it, too. I'm looking at it from, uh, uh, I don't even know the website. It looks like, Ella, anyway, it's a, it's a news site, but it says Energy, Tran right, right. Ener Energy Transfer says it is complying with Governor Tom Wolf's <laughs> order to shut down construction of the Mariner right. East Pipeline project while also applying for waivers to continue some work in the interest of safety. I'm going right. so are are they are they still working? Are they not? What's going on here? Um like are, are they well, gonna work while yeah. they apply for waivers or are they gonna shut down and wait for the waivers to come in? I you know my 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 best guess is this Jason is that they they now have the waivers and the construction quote unquote or the work that's that's happening is to essentially shut it down get it to a point where they can leave it alone for a period of time i mean that's my best guess but then you have um organizations like food and water watch which i absolutely detest and uh they release a statement that says uh, construction on Mariner East 2 pipeline is in no way an essential activity, and Sunoco must send workers home with compensation in order to protect them and their families. Of course, they hate these workers, right? They call them losers. Um, to protect them and their families and halt the spread of coronavirus. While Sunoco argues that suspension of construction increases risks to safety and or the environment, we know it's the other way around. Pipeline construction is simply too dangerous to allow during this period of heightened caution and uncertainty. It's just, it's just BS. Um, look, you know, what what Sunoco or, you know, Sunoco, or, which is also energy transfer, same company, what they're saying is we've, we've got to make these sites safe. We, you know, we have to fill in certain trenches. We have to, you know, push the dirt in certain ways, you know, so it's not going to erode um, and cause even more issues, right? That's what they're saying, that they want to, they want to make it safe. And yet Food, Food and Water Watch, they, they, they just, I guess, want them to walk away from those sites and leave them unsafe. I don't know. Well, you brought up a great point, by the way. There's a certain amount of, uh, whether you want to call it prep work or what, but it's like deep prep work. I mean, you've got to you've got to cover those sites for safety, for erosion factors, rain. Of all all those examples you gave make total sense. And what you're just supposed to stop and and yeah. like like just leave the shovels behind and everything. No, it's it's it shouldn't be. I mean, I know a lot of people where you know, just making sure they didn't get within a certain amount of distance of people and, and that sort of thing. And, and trying not to make light of it and trying to understand the severity behind it and et cetera. But at the same time, um, there is a certain level of operations that still can be done. They still can be done on a relatively uh, lifeline basis. And these pipelines are interesting, you know, like uh, just in my neck of the woods, there was still construction as of yesterday on a lot of big 
projects, a lot of buildings, you uh-huh. know, like, I don't know uh-huh. why we need $2 million condos still, but those pro those constructions were still going on yet. Yeah, they told, all yeah. the, they told all the bars and restaurants to close, but $2 million condos were still being built. You know, I mean, it's, it, yeah. well, it's <laughs> at some point, somebody has got to stand up and say, okay, guys, let's, let's stop doing this here and figure this out. Um, yeah. I, 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 anyway, so let's get back to the industry here for a second, because, you know, you mentioned the one, two punch and, um, you know, it, it was hard to find some bright spots for a little, little while, but you found one with that. I, I chuckled because here I'm on naturalgasnow.org and you're on there. I didn't even know you're a guest correspondent for Tom Shepstone. And then it's about yeah, Tom, Tom, Tom picks up some of my stories periodically sure. and, and sort of broadcasts them in his channel. And I'm uh, more than happy to have him do that. You yeah, know, I, I love Tom. I mean, he's a, he's a great guy. So. It, it's good cross promotion and everything else. But I chuckled because yeah. here I got the Marcellus drilling news guy with the other Marcellus guy out there covering natural gas, informing me about a company in the Bakken, my home turf, that's apparently trying to solve the flaring issues by powering computers. Yeah, that's right. Um, and you know, it's it's and I and I said in my you know in my uh, post that I did on this that you know technically this isn't a, a Marcellus Utica story, uh, and I try to keep my story is pretty much, you know, on, on course with what's happening in our neck of the woods here. But, but, you know, this is a, this is a crisis and, uh, we're all in it together as we often hear. And, um, and the industry is all in it together too. So I wanted to highlight, um, the good work being done by uh, this company, Crusoe Energy Systems, um, and what they're doing, uh, to contribute to the crisis, to help solve the crisis. So Crusoe is a company that that manufactures portable uh, units that go to well sites, to oil well sites, um, where, uh, you know, typically at a well site, um, and you know this problem, I'm sure you've talked about it plenty, um, you have, when, when you drill for oil, you also get natural gas, and what do you do with the gas? Well, either you vent it or you flare it, and of course there are steep penalties for doing either of those, and it's bad for the, the environment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so you try to run a pipeline to those locations, and you might have to wait years to get a pipeline to those locations, uh, which means you can't produce any oil because you're producing gas and you have to do something with the gas. So in order to solve that problem at remote locations, this company has, uh, Crusoe Energy Systems, put together a, um, a portable uh, electric power plant, if you will. So they'll take that gas at the oil well site that's coming out, and they'll burn that gas, and it will produce electricity. And they'll use that electricity to power computers. And it's a it's a distributed computing network kind of a thing. They have little you know satellite dishes that connect to computer networks, and uh, and what they do is they offer up this computing power um, at these remote locations, all networked together to uh, to chug along and uh, and work on problems. You know, uh, uh, resolving problems of various kinds. They you know lease out this this computing power, if you will. And in this case, they're offering up and have offered up uh, the use of their computers for the people that are working on a vaccine for the COVID-19 coronavirus. 
And I just think that, you know, that deserves a hat tip and a big thank you um, that someone in our industry has stepped up like that. And uh, in, in North Dakota, of course, is, you know, Nabakan is uh, one of the places where they have these systems. And so, um, you know, th- th- those distributed sites in, in, in Nabakan, uh, y- you guys are helping to solve the COVID-19 coronavirus uh, issue. Like I said, I was really surprised about that. In fact, while while we were talking, I noticed that the Williston Herald has done a story now. I, I, and you know how it goes. Once a blogger or a news site picks it up, usually within right. three, four days, you know, other people do it. You know, we were talking yeah. earlier off the air. It's amazing how many press releases, you know, that people get. And I know I get about 100 oh, yeah. a day. And you gotta yep. weed, you gotta weed through them, and then of course, when you go do a Google news search, half of those news stories are press releases. So then you gotta That's weed right. through those, and so it's there are a lot of news outlets out there, you know, that they do look to people like yourself, people like me, uh, people like Tom Shepstone, who have been journalists and, and news people for you know 15, 20, 30 years. That when they have a guest on or they have a blog or a news story, boy, you can see the. Uh, the, the, the just the ripple effect of the news story go you know what I mean by that it just it's yeah just, yeah oh yeah and and I I, I think I, I think you guys actually started this story because you know I'm looking the Williston Herald just picked it up 17 hours ago they did it so right um, and I and and, and right. we and we've been trying to get this interview for over a, you know a few weeks so this is something right. that, anyway um, I, I, go ahead go ahead I was gonna say I ran it on Monday so. Oh, well, well, there you go. Monday on on my site. So, yeah, so I've often said, you know, sort of tongue-in-cheek, you can, you know, you can read it on Marcella Strolling News today or you can wait a week and read it somewhere else. And there's a lot of truth behind that. I got a kick out of this. (laughs) um, this, I I put out a a letter that I turned into a JPEG on LinkedIn. And within 24 hours, I, I counted... 17 people that basically took the image, saved it onto their hard drive, and then put it on theirs because as far as I know, I'm the only person that did that because it was, well, most people comes in a PDF or like, you know, I actually took the time. I thought, you know, this would be good eye-catching. Then you see everybody pirate it, and I'm just like, wow, that's crazy. Uh, copyright yep. laws, they don't exist anymore. Big deal. So Not I guess really. yeah. my, my mistake, I should have um, de- definitely watermarked it, I guess. But anyway, but um, sticking in the world of flaring, you know, you're out in the Marcellus where there's, you know, gas, uh, that sort of thing. Are, are you seeing anything new in the terms of innovation in the world of flaring, at least, you know, before the last couple of weeks of the Corona uh, the COVID-19 shutdown happened? Were you seeing any good advancements in the innovation world like this Crusoe Energy Services? Well, you know, um, I, when, when I'm studying this stuff, I typically see it more in other plays. Um, you know, in the, in the Marcellus and the Utica, uh, what we're drilling for is gas. And uh, you know, in, in your neck of the woods, it's a it's a waste product. It's it's something you got to get rid of. Um, out here, it's uh, it's the thing that we try to sell. Um, and so, you know, there's always a little bit of you know, there's still a little bit of flaring here and there, but boy, it doesn't happen very often in our neck of the woods. Um, we're you know, we're trying to capture every last molecule that we can. Uh, in order to sell it, so it's uh, 
you know, with, with the development of more pipelines out here over the past few years, um, it's 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 just it's a very rare occurrence. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is that because of the pipeline system, or is that because you don't have yeah. as much of the you know the the fracking like they do in the Permian and in the Bakken? Because, like we mentioned earlier, of course, that's that, that's where a lot of the gas comes from. Yeah, no, it's uh, no, we we uh, we absolutely have fracking. Um, I mean, that's that's what's producing all this bountiful gas. Um, I think I don't know if I've mentioned it to you before in any of our our talks, Jason, but um, I, I sit across the border from Pennsylvania. It's about 15 miles from where I live, and just over the border is Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania, and. In that county, there's uh, one one driller in particular, Cabot Oil and Gas, uh, that drills for natural gas over there. In fact, it's the only county they drill in. And uh, they have no other, I believe they now have no other assets in here. It's just right there. So one county, one driller, and their wells are so productive, you know, the, the wells that they, they drill and frack for natural gas. That that one company is producing somewhere around two and a half percent of all the natural gas produced in the United States. Wow! It comes from that one company in one county. Um, so that tells. So a very well developed pipeline system. We can always use more. We there are a few more that are still on the books. Unfortunately, one that is now canceled was called the Constitution that was going to go from Susquehanna County up into New York State. Andrew Cuomo uh, blocked it, and uh, and it was a years long process. Um, it, it looked to me like maybe Williams was going to actually win in the end and be able to build it. But then all of a sudden, about uh, it was a month or two ago, um, they sent out a, a notice that they've decided to abandon that project and not build it now. And, uh, and the reason is, is because while they were having to screw around with Cuomo for the last uh, five, six years um, in delays, um, they got busy and uh, started looking for alternatives, and they've been beefing up their Transco system. And uh, and they uh, and they said, look, you know, we, there were three other projects that we worked on to increase our capacity out of that region. And so now, instead of going into New York where they need it, and on to New England where they desperately need it, uh, that gas is going to go to the south. And that's what happened. So, you know, Andrew Cuomo shot himself in the foot and the head. Uh, he did the same to New England. Thank you very much. Um, but, uh, but Williams, uh, the builder, would, would have been the builder of, of the Constitution, uh, found other ways to get that gas to market. Hmm. Well, kind of looking at the clock here, wrapping up, I wanted to ask you a little bit, not only about your website, so we'll plug that at the end, Marcellus Drilling news is it marcellus drilling.com is that right is that what it is yeah yeah, the, yeah I, the, the, the publication i call marcellus drilling news but it's you know instead of having a, a url that's four miles long i made yeah. it three miles long marcellus drilling.com well you could probably sell that to an energy company for a pretty penny Jeepers, that's a great name for a website marcellus drilling.com <laughs> so um you, you we were talking too before we got on the air a little bit as i was getting my 
cup of afternoon coffee ready was that, you know, you and I both have been doing the home office thing for a while. And, you know, when you Uh see, see on LinkedIn and some of the social media posts, you know, people partying at their home office, you know, it's, it's just, that's big part. It's a big party right now. And, 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 you know, as well as I do, there's a honeymoon period, then there's a divorce period, and then there's a settling in period. And, and, um, just what kind of advice would you have for some of those people out there that are kind of going through this home office, uh, uh, transition, if you will, because for a lot of people, it's here to stay. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's the first thing um, that people should be aware of. For some people, it might be here to stay. Um, And so you might want to try to get used to it. Um, So I started to work from home in, uh, I, I did it first remotely for a company like a lot of people are doing right now in this current situation. Um, I started to do that in 2006. So I've been working from home in a home office since that time. And, uh, and I want to tell you, and, and, you know, prior to that, I always worked in, in offices. And uh, I was always a marketing guy. And, you know, it took me, Jason, I don't know about you, but it took me a number of years to really adjust um, to working from home. I really missed the camaraderie, you know, the human interaction um, of being in an office. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't know that, that there are any shortcuts for, for getting used to it. Uh, I can just tell you that it, it literally took me years uh, I to, would, to really sort of settle in and, and, and sort of get used to that. I would have to go to a coffee shop once a week just to do yeah. some work for a few hours so that I knew human yeah. so I knew humans still existed. Yeah. Yep. And me too. So so that's one that's one you know, that's a that's a great tip. Of course you can't right now. Um, but but you know, once these uh, travel restrictions are lifted, depending on where you live, I have to think about who's listening. So I'm in New York State and I mean we've been on lockdown now for a couple of weeks and uh, and we remain it so it's it's just no unnecessary travel. We we go to the grocery store, we come home and that's it. Um, unless, you know, my wife and I will, will there's a, a park about four or five miles from here and we'll go walking, uh, periodically, you know, just to get outside and, and get some sunshine that sort of thing. But basically we're home and that's it. Um, but when that is lifted and you can go out again, yeah, go to Starbucks, go to a coffee shop, um, you know, uh, periodically, once every week or two, something like that. Uh, it, it's good for your psyche. I guess, you know, one of the big tips that I would um, encourage people to think about is they're working from home. Now, so, so first of all, I, so we were joking before we started this call. We were joking that, you know, I was joking with you that, you know, uh, it's, it, it's like it's, it's party time. It's, uh, you know, you get home and, and it's like, you know, my, my sort of tongue-in-cheek snarky remark is, you know, welcome to my life now. Um, because you're, you know, after a week or two or three, it, it's it's going to start to become real, and uh, it's it's not going to be all party and fun and games. Uh, you're going to have to get things done. Um, so uh, you know, you need to start to buckle down and think about that. So my, I guess my big tip is, um, and, and maybe this would apply to an office as well as as, as a home office, but that is, you have to have certain routines in place. Um, so when I, you know, I get up at 4.30 every day, 
I come to the computer and I start looking at the news and I start sifting and I have a whole whole routine. I have a bunch of RSS feeds and emails and things I'm cycling through to see what's going on uh, so I can pull things and start to write about that. Um, and then, and so, and, but, but I have it, it's, it's, it's very much a routine, you know, so all of that stuff, you know, I'll, I'll take a shower and eat breakfast at a certain point, but all, all of the prep work is pretty much done by nine o'clock and then nine o'clock to 11 o'clock I'm writing and then 11 o'clock to noon I'm publishing so that by noon, uh, everything is out there and ready to go. So I have a very much a regimented routine. Uh, yeah, it varies from time to time, day to day. If I'm on the road at a conference or something, you know, you have to make adjustments. Um, but there's that routine. And then in the afternoon, I also try to have certain routines that I'm going to work on certain things at certain times. Um, I have an end-of-day routine where uh, I'm, I, I, I do inbox zero. I have to make sure all my in, my email has has been you know at least looked through once and responded to anything that needs to be responded to um, so that I have no emails sitting in my inbox you know at least I, so I have to touch back to that one you know once a day um, so so my my rec my big tip my big recommendation is try to think about routines and in and do it in segments of time I'm gonna take you know, from one to two, I work on these kinds of things. From two to three, I work on these kinds of things. And take breaks, obviously. You know, go and get a coffee, you know, play with a dog, um, you know, tell the kids to shut up, whatever it is. Um, you know, uh, be, be a human, um, but, but and, and don't schedule yourself to every last second in the day or you'll go nuts, um, but have some some time blocks and routinize yourself. I guess that's my big tip for working from home. How about on the communication side of things in terms of trying to adjust, I guess, to everyone else's schedules, you know, for, I guess for you, it's not as difficult because, you know, you own your own business and, you know, like this, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes it takes, takes two, three weeks for you and I to hook up and do an interview based on your schedule, based on my schedule. Um, right. I, I do see where that's going to be problematic for some people trying to yeah, ad yeah. adjust schedules accordingly. I was talking to a guy earlier and, you know, here we're trying to do some business and talk, talk uh, business. And he's got his wife in one ear telling him to do this because, you know, she's home and he's home and he should be doing chores. And then he's got somebody doing, <laughs> doing uh, uh, landscaping in the backyard, you know, trying to ask him if he should be cutting trees down and stuff like that. And I'm going this, well, right, right. welcome to the home office world, buddy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. If, if you can make sure you, you know, you have a dedicated office space. Certainly. Um, I do. I have my own, you know, separate room. It's mm -hmm. off from the living room. It's it's a it's, and it was designed as kind of a den um, before I bought the house. Um, and I have a couple of French doors, and sometimes I just have to close them um, to to you know. And that's a that's a signal that you know I'm really uh, this, this I'm I'm working you know. And but I mean my wife is home now. She she works at a school, so um, and and they're off right now um, on lockdown. 
Um, but she's very good about, she leaves me alone. I mean, she knows, you know, this is my work and this is what I do. And, uh, but I'll wander out periodically and we talk and I get a coffee and that sort of thing. So, tough but yeah, have a dedicated space. T- tough with kids. Cause you know, that's where you need the dedicated space. And, um, yep. you know, like I've got, you know, I've got my, my son and over the past several years, he knows if I'm interviewing, he's, you know, he, he's quiet and, and, and that sort of thing. He doesn't mm-hmm. disturb me, but it wasn't always that way. I mean, when he was eight, nine years yeah. old, I mean, I'm not going to get mad at him for being a kid, not wanting to be with his dad. Boy, that's yeah. you kidding. At some point he doesn't want to be with me anymore. So I got to take those moments when I can. And, and so, yeah. yeah and, and so I do think part of though, uh, balancing the kids and balancing the work and home life. There's, there's, there's going to be an adjustment period. So boy, talk about throwing people right into the frying pan, huh? Yeah, really. I mean, you know, there, there's one other thing I thought about too, that I, you know, maybe this won't happen for most people if this lockdown business only goes on for a couple weeks or a month. But if you're home longer than that, I guarantee you something's going to happen. And that's going to be your, your local uh, internet provider is going to go down at some point, your cable system, something's going to happen. And that happens to me periodically. I affectionately call my, uh, my cable provider, the Hooterville cable company for those that are old enough to remember Petticoat Junction, but the who? Hooterville, Hooterville cable company. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't. I thought we were having a mature discussion, and then you threw that one out there, and, I, and then I started chuckling. I'm sorry. Go no, on. no, it has you know it has nothing to do with Hooters. Uh, you know, no, I just wasn't expecting that at all. Okay, go no, on. no, no, it's uh, it's the no. It, it, look up old reruns of Petticoat Junction, and you'll 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 get the reference. It's 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 it, I live in kind of a rural area, and and it's it's not Comcast, and it's not uh, Time Warner, or any of those providers. Sure. You know, it's oh, a, I love it. Yeah, it's a smaller one, so so sometimes they go down. So um, so my cell phone, um, I have a, a nice. Uh, I, I got a Moto uh, G7 for my cell phone, an Android guy. And uh, the the network that I have um, that I use, um, I can turn my cell phone into a Wi-Fi hotspot using a cell signal. And I've had to do that on occasion, um, I, I probably a half a dozen times over the past few years, um, so that I could keep writing, you know, so I could keep uh, researching and writing and publishing. Um, it, you know, it's either that or if your cable goes down, you have, you know, you go to a, mcdonald's or starbucks or someplace uh where it is working you know and set up there um but um but if you you know if if you depend on your computer you know if that's your life if, 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 if that's what you're doing and that's your job um you need a backup you need a second you need a second way to connect if at all possible you know, and that's that's a really good piece of advice for the home office people is to really have a backup plan for some of those things. I know it sounds stupid, but for somebody like myself, I mean, I've got 20, geez, 30 radio stations that rely on content on a daily basis from me every Monday through Saturday. No, Monday through Sunday. So seven days a week. And I use like FTP sites, file transfer protocol sites, but some of them I got to uh-huh. use Dropbox and some I have to, you know, email. And so like uh-huh. when, when I'm down at the lake, for example, 
I've got to drive into town every day because we don't have internet at the lake. And so um, mm-hmm. if, if the Wi-Fi hotspot isn't working, because that's pretty common, or you used up all your data because, you know, it's, it's, it's cheaper to drive into town than to get some of those data packages sometimes, you know. That's so, true, yeah. Yeah, and so that, that's a really good point. But I've actually had it where, like, my, my, my neighborhood's internet has been down. And, you know, they're doing some fixing. And especially for somebody like me who gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning to do some work, that's when they do a lot of that maintenance is, is you know, 3, mm-hmm. 4, 5 o'clock in the morning. So that That's right. Yeah, and that's that's a good piece of advice there. So uh, let's, let's uh, give you a chance to plug your website and how people can get in touch with you or read your stuff and give you some money during this downturn sure. and all that good stuff. Yeah, well... <laughs> Like everyone, you know, we're, we're looking to make a buck, um, but it's MarcellusDrilling.com. It's M-A-R-C-E-L-L-U-S, MarcellusDrilling.com. And on the website, um, on the right-hand side, it says, you know, receive daily headlines. So, you know, that's that's the lowest bar. If you, if you just want to, like, keep track of what's happening, because, you know, here in the Marcellus and the Utica, that I write about in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, uh, we are, uh, we're still drilling and, uh, we're not as greatly affected by the oil price war as the Texas Permian, of course, the, the Bakken in North Dakota and, uh, you know, the scoop and the stack in Oklahoma and, you know, in other places. So, um, so I find that I'm getting a lot more people are signing up, you know, subscribing uh, that are from Texas and places like that because they want to they want to know where the where the work is. Um, but if you just want to keep track of the headlines, like just a general idea of what's going on, you can get that for free. It says receive daily headlines. Just plug in your email address and subscribe to that. If you want to read full articles beyond the first couple of sentences, um, there's a there's a subscribe link um, along the top. Um, great big all caps that says subscribe, and uh, and I charge uh, seven dollars and ninety five cents a month, um, or uh, save a couple of months if you want to pay yearly. It's uh, seventy nine fifty per year. And, uh, and I'm, you know, what I, what I tell people, my, the value I provide to them is um, I'm cycling through all this information and pulling out uh, relevant information for people and businesses that want to profit from shale drilling uh, and, and its related active midstream and so forth in the Marcellus and the Utica region. Um, and so I dedicate, you know, a half a day every day to uh, getting that information and publishing it so so my subscribers can take, you know, 10, 15 minutes and they're up to date and they know where the latest opportunities are and uh, they're well-informed and I throw in a little bit of humor here and there to try to spice up this sometimes dry subject. Um, and so people, people read it for a couple of different reasons. You know, they read it because they get good leads, because they get ideas, uh, so they know what's going on. Um, and they read it for entertainment at the same time. So I, you know, I try to combine everything into one. You know, in the energy industry, we need to have some fun every now and then. And that's, you know, one of the reasons I got the Crude Life podcast going here is so we can have a place to come on and talk and have fun. And normally, I, you know, I, I would have ended the interview right there and just kind of, you know, gone to a commercial break, if you will. But uh, you said something that I thought was really important. And I wanted just to get your final comments on this. 
And this is one of the reasons why we changed our name back to The Crude Life. Originally, we were The Crude Life, and then we ended up being Building the Bakken, and we ended up with a Marcellus and uh, uh-huh. Permian and all, you know, $100 oil, man. We had dreams, hopes and dreams like everybody else. And, and uh-huh. you know, we, we, we kind of grew a little too fast, a little too soon. And then about two, three years ago, I, I really consolidated back to The Crude Life because of what you said earlier. All these shale plays really are connected. And there yeah. are so many people from Texas and 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 the Bakken and Colorado subscribing to your site now because of like what I called you originally about. Here I'm in the Bakken and I didn't find out about this company until I went to your website. So um, right, right. talk to me a little bit about that connection and why you're seeing some of those those increases in these other shale plays because quite honestly. That's how people are going to get through this time is to figure out some new customers. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the, the technology is the same pretty much. There, there are variations. Um, you know, each play, you know, the, 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 the producers, the drillers will determine that, you know, maybe they use this kind of sand or that kind of sand or some ceramic beads or something work better. Um, but overall, the technology is the same um, across all the plays. And the innovations that uh, you get in one play uh, often uh, will be uh, will be uh, tried out in other plays as well. So um, <clears throat> they very much um, in, we we are connected, and uh, and I, you know we all we're, we're all gonna we all need to stand together. Um, so one of the things that I, I started to do, Jason, just to plug someone else very briefly, is <clears throat> I guess about a year and a half ago now. Um, magazine by the name of Compressor Tech 2 uh, contacted me and said they wanted to start using some of my uh, stories, brief blurbs out of my stories in a monthly column that they were going to be writing um, called uh, the Shell Play-by-Play, covering all the different shell plays. And I wanted to use some things for me for the Marcellus and the Utica. And I said, well, you know, when I'm researching every day, I come across a lot of stories about these other plays. Why don't you let me write that for you and, you know, pay me for it. <laughs> and, um, and they said, okay, we'll try that. And so here we are about a year and a half later and it's still going strong. Um, so every month, um, I, I do write about these other plays, you know, so I'm writing about the Bakken, I'm writing about the Permian and, and uh, the scoop in the stack, and you know, and the DJ basin, uh, you know, Colorado, and um, and all of, all of these various places, the Haynesville and the Barnett, and um, so um, so if, if folks, you know, if you if you seek out, or if you're in the uh, midstream uh, industry, and uh, and you get compressor tech too, or you'd be interested in compressor, which is you know largely about the pipelines and the compressor stations and things that, that flow the gas, um, y- you can find that monthly column um, in every issue. It's called uh, Shale Play-by-Play, and it's just sort of, uh, you know, little quick hits, brief blurbs of, of really what's going on. And, 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 and as you point out, Jason, I, I see a lot of similarities in all the other plays, you know, as to what I'm writing about on a day-to-day basis here in the Marcellus and the Utica. And, and that's where I see really the, the connection, if you will, that these shale plays and the innovations amongst each other and the co- constant communication 
is what's really going to bridge us to the next step in oil and gas. And I think during this shutdown, during the coronavirus, it's sites like yours, programs like this, in combination with social media, that's really going to bridge everybody together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We have have to stick together. 